privilege to welcome those of you that have visited with us today by way of radio or by the internet to the Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church service that is already in progress. In behalf of our senior pastor, Dr. Calvin Rock, and our loving members, we welcome you today. If for those of you that are listening by radio that would like to see us on the internet, you can see us at www.abundantlifelv.org. Again, www.abundantlifelv.org. We have a special service today um, in that we have a special pastor that is visiting with us, Pastor Tammy Losi. Pastor Tammy Losi is the senior pastor of the Living Waters Church in Henderson and Boulder City's churches. It is a blessing to have her with us today. For those of you who have attended the convocations or other conference-wide functions, you know that Pastor Losi loves the Lord, and she is enthusiastic about the work of God. As the pastor, as Pastor Rock was leaving, he told her that he was heading to paradise, and she says, so am I. So am I. And I want to say, Pastor Losi, so, so we. And we all are heading in the right, in the same place. So after our special music is brought to us by Sister Gloria Zai Ihimba, who will be singing in her native tongue. She will be singing the song, God Will Watch Over You. It will be on the screen, but after she warms our heart, the next voice that you will hear is that of Pastor Tammy Losey. In few words, it means that uh, God will watch over you and he will make a way where there seems to be no way. What you have to do is only to trust in him and you see the great things he will do for you. Thank you.
Along with the joy of spending the holidays with family and friends, like the one we just celebrated, I don't know what you did for Thanksgiving, my husband and I, we went to California and visited his younger brother, Steve, and his wife, Steve's wife, and her whole family. We had a wonderful time. I hope you had a good time this past holiday. We have the upcoming holidays of Christmas. I know I have my son. He just moved to Portland, Oregon. He's been in Ethiopia, and he's been traveling all around. He was in Ethiopia for about a year and a half. He's coming home for Christmas. I'm really looking forward to getting together with my son. I don't know the gatherings you have planned. We have so many wonderful times of fellowship over the holiday season, but along with the joy of spending holidays with family and friends, there are the negative added stressors, right, and pressures that the holidays brings. The time and the effort and the expense these holidays inevitably bring into our homes and into our lives. For many people, for many individuals, for many families, these next few months can be difficult even some of the most difficult times of the years because of stressors like we already talked about, including maybe we're feeling some of those stressors right now. With the Christmas season coming on, maybe some of us are feeling pressured to get Christmas presents. We don't have a lot of money in the bank account, and yet we're feeling the pressure of society on us. And I just want to encourage you this morning, you don't have to spend money you don't have. All right? Amen? (laughs) Amen? There are stressors that come along with it, but not only that, there are some people that are alone, you know, over the holidays. We need to be cognizant of that. We need to be sensitive to those that might be alone. And holidays sometimes accentuate that, you know, where people feel more lonely, more alone, more by themselves. And so it can be a tough time for many people or because maybe someone's passed on, you know. Or someone's moved away and they can't be there and it just isn't the same. These mixed emotions and experiences can cause emotional outbursts sometimes. And we see some of those outbursts and we go, where did that come from? You know, that's totally out of context with what's going on here or that's disproportionate to what I see happening in the circumstances around me. Take, for example, Glenn Vaughn. After spending three and a half hours one afternoon at the DMV, long lines, rude clerks, and, well, demanding regulations that sometimes see a little beyond the call of duty, and he was dealing with all that, and finally he finishes business, and yet he had one more errand to run. And he was in no mood to run another errand, but he needed to pick up, as he promised his wife, a Christmas gift for his little boy. And so he goes to a nearby toy store, goes in to get a Christmas gift for his son, and picks out a baseball bat. And he goes to the clerk to check out, and the clerk asks the normal question, cash or charge? And he responds, cash! You know, just real rudely and just... And it was like out of context. It was disproportionate to what was going on. And the lady looked at him like, you know, what are you biting my head off for here? And he then explained, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just came from the DMV. And then he told her, you know, his afternoon. And that he was still just exasperated about this afternoon. He was still upset. And the lady 
understanding the situation, the pressures of the season, and she said, shall I gift wrap the bat or are you going back there? <laughs> Have you ever felt like solving your problems with a bat? I have a, a friend that lives here in the valley just a couple of years ago. She was taking a lady home, and at, it was evening. And as she was arriving at this lady's home, in her doorway was this big burly man, and he was armed with a bat. And this man, she came to find out, was looking for a nearby neighbor. And he wasn't planning to wait for all the red tape of our legal system in order to take care of this problem. And so he took the law in his own hands and went about doing his business. Have you ever felt like solving your problems with a bat? Today we are focusing on an emotion, the emotion of anger. Regardless of the time of year, we all experience it, right? There's not one of us that hasn't experienced the emotion of anger as we study together today from the Holy Word of God. We're going to see God's perspective on how we are to respond to this emotion in our lives, both as it wells up within us personally or as it is directed toward us. You know, so wherever, if it's coming from us or directed to us, how does God want us to respond to the emotion of anger? Now, we don't have to turn on our TV sets and watch the evening news in order to see rage or anger, right? We could just look out our windows or drive down the road, and sometimes all we need to do is look in our own hearts, right? And we can see that there's a lot of angry people in this world. Matter of fact, sometimes it seems like the world has gone literally mad. King Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, said, if you cannot control your anger, you are helpless as a city without walls open to attack. Proverbs 25, 28. In this passage, Solomon didn't say that we need to eliminate anger. Instead, he said, no, no, I'm not saying that. We need to control our anger. Now, this is interesting because there's some people who would insinuate or say just straight out, if you are angry, you are sinning. And it is wrong. But then there are others that said, well, you know, anger can be a valid and even a right emotion in some circumstances. As we study the Bible, it reveals that anger in and of itself is not wrong. Matter of fact, our holy God, our righteous, perfect God is exemplified in Scripture, both the Old and the New Testament, many, many times as being angry. And rightly so. So does that mean, okay, it's okay to be angry so, you know, I can pick up my bat or I can take my belt off or I can take my pistol and go and take care of business? Well, obviously, you know, the Bible isn't teaching and giving license 
for us to display our anger in those ways. Many times that we, we think of anger as a behavior, when in fact it is an emotion. I've heard some people say, hey, I'm never angry. You know, I don't get angry. I am mild-mannered and mild-tempered. To those people, I would say, take two fingers and place it on your pulse, on your wrist, or on your neck, and see if your heart is still beating. Because I'm telling you, if you think that you have never experienced this emotion or you don't experience this emotion, you aren't being very honest with yourself. But sometimes people come to that conclusion because their behavioral response is an aggressive or violent. And so they say, well, I'm not angry. In other words, you know, they haven't raised their voices in dealing with anger or hit someone or shot someone. Instead, some people, though, deal with anger in a lot of different ways, right? Some people just get angry and they're depressed. Some people get angry and they stuff it and stuff it and stuff it. And pretty soon, you know, you get this boiling pot that just explodes and you go, wow, (laughs) you must be angry. And it may just, you know, come out at a time where you totally don't expect and you go, "What, what was that all about? There are people, you know, maybe sometimes we say, oh, I'm not angry. I'm frustrated. I'm not angry. I'm irritated. And it's because we can control ourselves to the point where we can claim some of these other responses that we are not angry people. There are other people that respond to anger in more practical ways. Like a group of women who formed the organization MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Now that's a practical way to explore and use the energy of anger. Or organizations that fight social, economic, racial, religious, or environmental injustices. This type of response to anger seeks to protect life, to protect property, to protect our human dignity and worth. Today as we open the Bible together, we will let God shape our understanding of this emotion of anger. We will let God teach us how to lose our temper. Please bow your heads with me. Dear God, we don't approach your holy word without a sense of awe that you have provided by the blood of martyrs this enduring word that we hold in our hands that we have on our bookshelves, God, as we take up this book today, we pray that you would speak to us, and not just speak to us, but that you would transform us. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Turn with me in your Bible to James chapter 1. We've already read this passage, but I want us to read it again together. Today I'll be using the New Living Translation. James chapter 1, and beginning with verse 19. James chapter 1, and beginning with verse 19.
Still hear some pages rustling out there. James 1, beginning with verse 19, it reads, My dear brothers and sisters, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Your anger can never make things right in God's sight. It can never produce the righteousness of God, the Bible says. This is talking about uncontrolled anger. Uncontrolled anger will never accomplish God's purpose, the Bible says. It will never uphold his righteousness. It will never honor and glorify him. Too often, when we are angry, we exemplify the opposite of what this good word is counseling us to do. Instead of listening, when we're having a heated conversation with someone, instead of really trying to hear what the other person is saying, we're just gearing up and preparing our reaction, our response. Instead of being slow to speak, We just blurt out what's in our mind, you know. We just speak it out. We probably many times yell it out because we're so involved with how strongly we feel about this thing or about that thing. Instead of being slow to anger, we become combustive and combative toward whomever or whatever makes us feel this emotion of anger of being mad, and so we react. Once there was a man named Harold, and he committed, he actually committed murder. He killed his car. He got so angry. He was in a snowstorm, and he ran into a snowdrift and got stuck, and he was out in the middle of nowhere, and he couldn't get his car out, and so he was angry. He got so angry, he got the tire iron out of his trunk, smashed his windows, then got his pistol, which he was carrying legally, his handgun, and he went and he shot his tires and opened up the hood and shot his engine. Now, the police who took this call kind of was humored by this situation and laughed about it, and in his report, he called it autocide. Now, we might say, okay, that man, you know, that's a little extreme example, you know. You know, he was a little disturbed. We wouldn't go and do something so drastic as that, so off the wall as that. But, in fact, when we are angry, we sometimes indulge in behaviors that are far far more damaging than that. Turn with me to Matthew as we look at the counsel of our Lord in regard to anger. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. That famous Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. You have heard that the law of Moses says, do not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, 
you're in danger of being brought before the high council. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Strong words coming from the mouth of our Lord. How is it that God himself in the flesh, that our Lord Jesus places the devastating and permanent results of murder right alongside of this emotion of anger, this uncontrolled response to the emotion of anger. How does Jesus put them side by side if, if, as if they were on the same level? A closer look in a in more in-depth study into these words in many other councils in the word of God shows that Jesus was describing the destructive nature of uncontrolled anger. In this passage, though, Jesus is not talking about our anger toward inanimate objects like this man with the car, you know, or us getting angry and throwing our fists through a wall, or us getting angry and taking a vase and, and shattering it. Jesus is talking about being angry and out of control toward other human beings. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 11 says, Fools give vent to their anger, but wise people keep themselves under control. Over and over again in Scripture, the, it emphasizes that the primary issue when dealing with the emotion of anger is control. The issue of control. I believe today God is calling upon each one of us and empowering each one of us to harness the wind of our temper in order that we can actually use this emotion for the honor and glory of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And we're reading verses 26 and 27. Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 26 and 27. It says, and don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. Kevin and Sarah were a wonderful Christian couple, and they got along most of the time. There are some times, though, they would have disagreements. There was one specific day they were having a knockdown, drag out fight, but it wasn't physical. It was you know, a verbal fight, the yelling match, and they were both feeling strongly about their position. And then as the day went on, they softened a little, uh, she softened a little, and said to her husband, Kevin, you know, we promised when we took our vows that we wouldn't let the sun go down on our wrath. You know, and I, I just, you know, want us to, to make this right between us. And Kevin was still quite upset about 
the argument earlier, and so he looked at his wife and with great emphasis says, the sun is still shining in China. This simple story illustrates our human tendency to hang on to our negative behaviors in response to the emotion of anger. Often we turn our anger into a war zone where someone needs to end up on top, and hopefully that's me, and someone is going to be the loser to end up on bottom. What makes us so stubborn and so willful when it comes to the emotion of anger? Dr. Les Carter, a Christian psychologist, observes this after counseling numerous people, individuals, and families on this issue of anger. Angry people may appear strong, willful, or certain But be assured that beneath the veneer are fear, loneliness, insecurity, and pain. Especially, there is pain, he says. In other words, our anger response, our bad behavior is often a cover-up for the real root problems. We can mask our own human weakness by trying to appear strong or powerful or in control. We can't give in to our emotions or we might have to face the demons of a stolen childhood or a life of abuse or addiction or even our own injustice, selfishness, pride, or our victim mentality. In Ephesians chapter 4, we already read, don't don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. And we read on, the next verse says, For anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. Every time we allow uncontrolled anger to exhibit itself in our lives, we give the devil room to work. We give him a mighty foothold in our lives. This is something that we need to consider with great pause that we would consider, do we want to give the enemy a foothold in our homes, at our work, at school? Do we want to give the enemy this foothold? Like the verse we read in the beginning, we become vulnerable like a city without walls. What can we do to gain control of our temper? How can we break it down into practical terms, this counsel that we receive from the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians? How can we do that in a practical way that gives us something we can take home and that we can implement and do at home? I want to share four simple, practical steps toward taming our temper. Step number one, admit my anger. And I'm putting these all in the personal because... You know, it's, it's, if it isn't personal, if we don't make it personal, if we don't make the Word of God personal, if we don't apply it to our life, it is never going to do us a whole lot of good. Admit my anger to God, 
to myself and when appropriate to others that I deal with. We need to stop denying it, stop pretending it's not there. Oh, I'm just irritated. I'm just frustrated. No, I never get angry. No, we need to recognize and acknowledge when we are angry. So that's step number one. Step number two, we need to understand my anger. We need to take time to pray about it, to, to present it before the Lord. We need to ask the probing questions, why am I angry? Why does this situation or this person cause me to be so upset? Why am I projecting why am I projecting blame for my anger on someone else? Right? You make me so angry. When can anyone really make us angry? It is a choice that we make how we will respond to this emotion. And so let's take that back, that responsibility back for our emotions. If you're married, I'm married, you probably had silly arguments over things like, you know, how to squeeze the toothpaste. You know, I squeeze it right in the middle. You know, my husband, you know, real neatly. So now we have two separate toothpaste. You know, or how you hang the toilet paper, you know, on the road. With it, you need to hang it right. Or how do you car park the car, you know, in the garage or in the driveway. Or, you know, that little argument about picking up those dirty clothes. Why do you leave them two feet from the dirty clothes basket? I don't get it. Or countless other small things, but those are only surface issues. How do we get to the deeper meaning of an argument? How do we get to the deeper cause for our emotions? Psychologists have identified five basic root causes for uncontrolled anger that we experience in the relationships of our lives. We become angry when we perceive that we or someone else is unaccepted, unappreciated, unsupported, unprotected, or uncertain. Think about it. Usually, if you or I have exhibited uncontrolled anger, it usually involves one of these five things. So we need to understand. Step two is understand our anger. Step number three, choose a behavioral response to my anger. We need to realize we often give control to others for our behavioral response to anger. I mean, you know, if someone yells, what do we do? We yell back. If the voice raises, our voice, you know, matches it. If someone hits us, what do we do? You know, our human tendency, you know, is to slug them back. I mean, that is it. We often give control to someone else for our response to the emotion of anger. But God is calling us to take back that control from those other individuals. We need to determine that our, what, what behavioral response can I offer in response to the emotion of the anger that I experience in my life 
that will bring honor and glory to God and that will not show the human fruit of my own raw bad behavior. What response will bring glory to God? Really, the only response according to the word of God is shown in Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23. A familiar passage will refer to this passage. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Let's read this together. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the only responses that we can offer that will accomplish the righteous purpose of God. So when anger comes, we need to choose which response will I have? Which response is appropriate to my circumstance? So choose a behavioral response. You know, even to our kids, we we tell them to make these choices before you start dating, that you're going to remain pure. You choose that before. The same thing with our anger. We should choose the response before we're in the middle, in the heat of it. Step number four, harness the energy of my anger. We can use the energy of our anger to produce positive effects both in our life and in the lives of others. Ask God to give us the strength to act upon the choice that we make, how we will respond, turning those difficult and sometimes very upsetting situations that we may face in this life into positive energy that will accomplish God's good purpose. Let's ask God to give us the self control that we need so that we don't give that foothold, that mighty foothold to the devil. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4 once more. And here in this passage, as we read on, God gives us some good counsel in this regard. Ephesians 4 and beginning with verse 29. Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. So that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he is the one who has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of malicious behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. You know, we often hear that, uh, forgive and forget. Well, God made these, these minds of ours very wonderful, you know, computers. We have a memory chip that is really good, right? We have a good memory. You go, okay, you know, how can I forgive and forget? We choose to. It isn't that 
we forget like we can't remember it. We choose to let it go. That's what forgiveness means. Forgiveness is the key that secures the control of our anger. Without forgiveness, bitterness and anger will set in and take over and rob us of the control that is ours in Christ Jesus. Fred was talking to his friend and he confided, when I fight with my wife, she gets historical. He said, don't you mean hysterical? He said, no, I mean historical. She keeps bringing up the past. Are we willing to forgive? To literally let go of the past, even if the past is just a couple of seconds ago. Forgiving doesn't mean we eliminate accountability. There needs to be accountability right in this life. But what it means when we forgive, it simply means that we will not let someone else's actions determine and control our own behavioral response to the emotion of anger. Let me repeat that because this is at the very heart of what we're talking about today. To forgive simply means that we will not let someone else's actions determine and control our behavioral response to anger. Taming our tempers means taking these four simple steps. Number one, admit my anger. Number two, understand my anger. Number three, choose a behavioral response to my anger. Number four, harness the energy of my anger for the glory and honor and purposes of God. Today in closing, I want to invite you to view with me a self-portrait of our God at the peak of his anger. At the peak of his anger against sin and unrighteousness and ungodliness, at the peak of his anger, behold our Lord as he hangs upon the cross of Calvary and he harnesses the energy of his anger to accomplish a higher purpose. There at the cross, we see how to lose our temper. It is there we find the courage to choose to instead of letting others determine our response that we will let God's actions determine our response to the emotion of anger in our life. It is there at the cross that God will teach us how to harness the energy of our anger so that it can be used for his good purpose. As we think about our own uncontrolled anger or uncontrolled tempers in contrast with the righteous anger of God and the righteous indignation of the Most High, I want to invite you to turn with me in your hymnal to page Three, or to hymn number 306. The hymn we'll be singing in just a, a couple minutes is Draw Me Nearer. The author of the lyrics of this hymn is Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby is a remarkable woman who wrote over 9,000 hymns. At the age of six... This girl, this young girl, Fanny Crosby, went to a country doctor 
who put a mustard poultice over her eyes, causing her to become permanently blind the age of six. At the young age of eight, she wrote a poem that I'm going to read to you. And this poem really reveals how this young girl who lost so much, because shortly after she lost her sight, she lost her father. This young girl who lost so much at an early age, how she would choose to live her life. How she would choose to respond to the hard knocks of life. And before I read this, I'd like to invite any young person that's in this uh, sanctuary that is eight years old. Because she was eight years old when she wrote this poem. Is anyone here eight years old? Can you stand up? If you're eight years old, I want to encourage you to stand up. All right? Go ahead. Okay, so so we have one. Is there anyone else that's eight? Back here. All right. Just these young people's age. This is how old this lady was that wrote this point. So listen to these words, because she was just your age when she wrote them. She said, oh, what a happy soul am I, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep inside because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. I want to invite the rest of us to join these young people and stand as we're closing today and singing this hymn. And I want to challenge us as we sing this hymn written by this remarkable woman that we would focus our attention on Jesus at the peak of his anger, hanging there on the cross, dying in response to our rebellion and our sin hanging there, bearing our sins, yours and mine, in order that we might have life and have it abundantly, choose to let his actions determine our response. Let's sing together.
As our brother has the benediction, I just uh, want you to make this decision that as we leave this place, we will let the, the actions of our most high and loving and powerful and merciful and gracious and patient and loving God would determine our response to the motion of anger. That was a practical and sobering message. It probably hit us, some of us, right where we live, right? And one of, the thing of, one of the things about the community of faith is that it's a community of accountability. Is anybody here today want to make a decision to say, Lord, I want, to take, I want you to take me to another level in how I respond when I'm angry? Anybody want to make a decision today? By the grace of God? Thank you, thank you. I believe God sees your hands, knows your heart, and that we can leave here today better than we came because of the Holy Spirit. I know we also have some visitors. And I just wonder if there's anybody who, under the power of the Holy Spirit today, want to make a decision beyond anger, but a decision to give your life to Christ. Anybody here like that today? Want to give your life to Christ? Come on down. We just want to see you. We want to get your name so we can follow up and study with you. Any, any others? Somebody said when God is in the building, sin, sick, soul, are healed. God is in the building, lives are changed. And there may be somebody here today who feels the tug and the power of the Holy Spirit and you want to respond. Anybody? What a time to do it, right? What a time to do it. It's no time like now. Pastor Losey, we thank you so much for coming today. I know this, this was a historical moment for you, first time visiting with us in this capacity. We pray that you'll come again. Father, we thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your word, Lord, and that your word is not just theoretical, but it is practical. And that your word is designed, Lord, to meet us where we live and where we struggle and where we can make changes. And Lord, you point out our changes to convict us, and then you are so gracious, you give us your Holy Spirit to change us. I pray, Lord, that there are some lives that will be changed today. Some angers, Lord, that we will surrender to you. And Lord, that we will ask that your Holy Spirit will show us how to respond when our feathers are ruffled. Forgive us, Lord, where we have responded inappropriately in the past. But I know we can be better in the future by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated.